I'm Sarah Elizabeth Smith. And I'm Kelsey Davis. And we are Theo Sophia. Welcome to season two, everybody. Kelsey and I are so excited to launch the podcast into another awesome year of content promoting women's voices in theology and religion. We hope you all enjoy and participate in this new journey. This week, Kelsey and I sit down to talk about our work in the world, why we love theology, and what our hopes and dreams for the podcast are. We will start releasing episodes on Tuesday mornings now that both Kelsey and I are working in in church jobs, so Sundays are a bit wild for both of us. We can't wait to bring y'all more amazing stories from amazing women. Hope y'all enjoy this week's discussion. Here's the Theosophia team. I'm awesome. How are you, dude? I'm good. It's good to be with you. This is our first episode together as co-curators of the Theo Sophia podcast. It is. And we're going to get better microphones next time. Yeah, because we, uh, we're we both on uh, some headphones right now. We got We got the shaft for microphones right now, but it will be better next time. We apologize to, to all our, our listeners out there, but yeah, we will get better. Um, but I am in Seaside, California. And Sarah, where are you? Is that rough out there? Are you roughing it? I'm roughing it with some sand and some some ocean. Um, I'm actually really fortunate to uh, be able to live about a mile and a half from the coast. And That's ridiculous. At the midpoint of our diocese, since um, I travel a lot for, for my job. And so I'm able to get up and down the diocese pretty easily. And Um, you're a lucky son of a gun i'm sitting out here on the plains we got tumbleweeds and tornadoes i live across the street from a cow which i like but it's so we live in such different realities we really do do you have uh any like farm animals at home like any chickens or anything like that no my dream is though to live on some some land and have all all of the animals Okay, I only so have a, a dog right now. Only a dog. So if you if you could add anything to your farm, what animals would you want? Definitely chickens because I want eggs. I want farm fresh eggs. Okay. Definitely some cows just to have. I don't think I could ever, you know, slaughter them. That'd be tough. But, you know, just to look at, watch them graze and just walk around. They're beautiful animals. Maybe some longhorns. I love longhorns. Some alpacas. They're hilarious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Some donkeys some peacocks I don't like bring bring it all all the farm animals just all of it and how do you think boulder boulder's her dog by the way how would boulder mm-hmm. respond to the animals I think he'd he'd just go sit with them in the sun you know and just chew on a rawhide or something sick, yeah so Sarah you love animals you love Oklahoma you love um love the farm culture there and the space the wide open I spaces do. You love I do so much too. Mm-hmm. And um, and I know that you also love theology. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, you know, um, what is it about theology that caused you to get two degrees? And spend a lot of reading and writing and practicing theology. Oh, that's a really good question. 
I just think God had a hold on my heart from a really young age and I didn't know how to let it go. I didn't want to let it go. And, and maybe that's my Enneagram six in me. Just, I'm very in my head. I'm very deep, I'm very passionate person, very cerebral. And, um, I like to sit a lot and contemplate and think and write and read. So that makes for a pretty good theologian, I think, because mm-hmm. those, those skills are needed. But two, it's, it's always been a mystical and spiritual thing for me studying theology. So it was never uh, been a question of deconstructing my faith as much as it has been constructing my faith, even since I was a little kid um, doing Bible studies on my own or devotionals or what have you. And now, you know, reading Augustine or Tillich or uh, Ellen Armour or Dean Towns or whoever, you know, Elizabeth Johnson um, has just enriched my my faith life. So, um, yeah, I've just always been super into religion and spirituality and it gives life meaning and texture that I don't think I could see if I didn't have this perspective and language you know and uh it gives me life so much and i want to share it with others and that's why i part of the reason why i started this podcast and am doing my career in ministry and in pursuing ordination mm. and all the things mm. yeah it's good so talk to me a little bit about ordained ministry um you know, you're an Episcopalian in the Episcopal Church, and ordination is is something that means something a little bit different to different people across denominations. Um, and and so I'm curious for you, why do you why the Episcopal Church? Because mm. you did not grow up Episcopalian, correct? Right. Yeah, I grew up so in the Methodist Church. The Methodist Church. So mm. why does the Episcopal Church get to have you, Sarah? <laughs> Because they're almost Catholic, but not. (laughs) And I think after doing an undergraduate degree in Catholic systematics at Notre Dame, everyone's like, how did you not convert? And I'm like, well, I didn't grow up Catholic. So it's a lot easier being an outsider and studying the the faith tradition to look at it, I think, a little more objectively and say, for me, the sticking point was women. Like women can't be priests and women can't really have leadership roles in the church and I was just like I don't understand that I just I love everything about the church in terms of the tradition and the intellectual history um, the sacraments the liturgy all of it is beautiful but I don't know if I can get on board with an institution that doesn't allow women equality and what I see is a God-given right So that's a big theological sticking point for me that I couldn't get over. And uh, with the guidance of some great mentors at Vanderbilt, I was led to the Episcopal Church. And it just felt like a really great marriage of my Protestant upbringing and my Catholic, my love of all things Catholic. So here we are. Mm. It's beautiful. I, I concur with most of that, all of that. Well, why do you like theology? Well, for me... um, Because this is what brought us together, by the way. 
mean, I mean, I think the first thing that brought us together was sports, which we might talk about later, and mutual friends and sports. But the linking factor and why people thought we would be friends is because a sports, but even more so our love of theology and spirituality mm-hmm. um, and our backgrounds. Mm-hmm. So why theology for you? Yeah, it's a good question. Well, and also before I answer that, I'm hoping this season, you and I, we, the Theosophia podcast community, we can do an episode or two on the intersection of religion and sports. Of course. Um, so for me, um, you know, I, I grew up unchurched. And um, so I didn't have a lot of framework for um, Christianity, nor theology or um, religion really at all. Um, And so, uh, but I remember I, you know, I went to the University of Portland in Oregon, and I was an English major at first. I thought I was going to go on and teach uh, secondary education. Um, and, and be an English teacher in a high school environment and and yet the burning questions of my heart um, were all ones that centered around religion and faith and particularly Christianity and human sexuality and I will always remember the the moment and the experience of conversion for me when I walked mm. into to a mass for the first time and felt swept up and carried by the liturgy. Mm-hmm. Um, when I heard about what it meant to live a sacramental life and to start to formulate words and a vocabulary around these experiences of God that I had been having my whole life, I just didn't mm-hmm. have it before. Mm-hmm. And so when I uh, switched my major to to being a theology major, um, I started to gain the language um, to talk about God or how to even not talk about God, right? Right. And so for me, I fell in love with that. It, it felt like a form of poetry to me. It was like I was having all of these feelings and all of these experiences and there was meaning being made. Um, and now I finally had the language to express it. Mm-hmm. And and so that was really my undergraduate you know, moment of, of truth. And then in terms of pursuing a master's degree, I mean, that was all you. And, you know, you realize I, I still had a lot of questions, um, mm-hmm. not very many answers and, and roped me back into theological education. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was coaching college soccer at the time and sitting yeah. at my desk and reading theology. You know, like who does that? Yeah. <laughs> not, yeah. Not many people are trying to plan for Friday night's game and then, you know, reading Peter Rollins alongside of that. Right. Um, you were the person who told me, you know, you're like, you know, I think that you should come back to theological education. Yeah. And, and sure enough. And I said like, that because I was doing the exact same thing at Notre Dame when I was working there. I was reading and I even audited a class on feminist theology so I was doing the exact same thing Mm -hmm. um of course both of those career fields were good and we were good in them and they were fulfilling to a certain degree but there was still something missing that I think we both were yearning for definitely 
and you know it's just it's for me so why do i love theology um for me theology simply um is really comes down to two things and one it's finding language to talk about the experience of god that we are having Mm -hmm. um and then two it's learning to live the questions that we that we hold Mm-hmm. And and so for me, when you talk about doing theology or living theology, that's really all that it is, is forming language around it and then living our questions. Because as you and I both know, I mean, I'm sitting in the office right now and I have like 300 books around me, right? Mm-hmm. And way more questions than answers. If anything, you know, divinity school just helped me reframe questions. It didn't necessarily mm-hmm. give me better answers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I love that. That's the mystery, I think, that you were talking about, the, the mm-hmm. mysticism and the mystery that's, that's part of this journey. Um, it's awesome. Yeah. And I think with that, we both, not only our stories, but the stories we hear from the people we're in community with, we see not only the great great beauty that comes from a theological perspective but also the great pain it's caused people and how how big of a need there is for uh ministers and pastors and priests and um theologians to speak into people's lives and make sense of things and and at times deconstruct things that were bad and harmful that have held people down. Um, I can't tell you how many times over a beer with someone I meet at the bar randomly and I tell them what they, I do and they just vomit their life story on me and have such, hold such deep shame or deep questions or deep fears or whatever. And I give them one little insight or one, just a different way to think about something that they've been holding on to for so long that I don't think is true. Mm. And I give them a little, you know, nugget of what I think is a little more wisdom and it opens up their world and it starts you can see this hope of healing happen in front of your face and it's Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge piece of what we're doing and that's certainly the goal of this podcast um, Mm -hmm. to give people hope and stories and experiences and language to to life Mm -hmm. that you don't often hear and that's why we're doing this because we need to hear these stories and these voices because they're everywhere. That's right. Yeah, it's a it's a privilege to bear witness to someone else's story. And mm-hmm. um, you know, if 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 and when we're open enough, each of us, to to really enter into someone else's story, it can it's vulnerable because it can mm-hmm. reshape the way that we see the world and um, I know no better education than than truly being invested in someone else's truth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I remember you, you talked about insight that, that can help sort of reframe or shift perspective. I remember the first time that um, I realized that you didn't have to be an expert to interpret the Bible or interpret mm-hmm. scripture. Mm. Um, you didn't have to be a professional theologian to do that or a professional biblical scholar and it was in undergrad and I was in class um, with with father 
Charlie Gordon at the University of Portland, and he had us do an exercise in basically scripting out, writing a play on the story of David and Bathsheba um, from Bathsheba's perspective. Mm. We want to talk about some feminist work there, right? Yeah. And I remember it being the first time where he sort of offered creative liberty and agency for, for me to sort of become Bathsheba. Mm. And, um, and we, you know, we shared our, our scripts in class the next week and, and really just unpacked it. And, and it was my first awakening that there can be creative interpretation of this stuff, um, that it can be deeply relational and experiential Mm-hmm. And that our interpretations um, can be also their own form of stories that are shared. Mm-hmm. And it just opened up the text for me in a new way that, that I actually felt empathy for Bathsheba and with Bathsheba in a way that I had never experienced mm-hmm. before. Right. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so I think that that's part of, of what happens when when we reframe things for each other is that it can open up a whole new world of understanding, mm-hmm. not only mm-hmm. about ourselves, but, but about whatever it is that we're engaging in. Mm-hmm. And, and to this day, when I share that with others, you know, who think that you need to be a professional biblical scholar to do any of that type of work, um, you know, their worlds are, are blown away to know that they are agents of their own interpretation as well. Mm-hmm. And, and when, we, when we share those interpretations in community and their diverse opinions or diverse perspectives, I think that that's where the holy dwells, mm-hmm. right? It's not about all of us agreeing, right? Yeah. Um, what about your work? I think mm. this ties in great to what you're doing at the Diocese of El Camino Real with emerging communities. And I know I've, I've said that word in talking about you the last couple of weeks, but what, what does that mean? What do you do every day? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I do a lot of different things on the day-to-day, um, everything from answering emails to um, driving up and meeting with people to walking, taking hikes with young adults. Um, but the the term curator was intentionally um, was a, t- a title that was intentionally chosen mm-hmm. by our diocese um, and and dreamed up and approved by our bishop Bishop Mary Gray Reeves and you know just like you would a uh, you would know sort of the, a curator of an art exhibit or, or right. a museum a curator is someone who um, their skill set really is to be able to see the thread that is holding, um, you know, diverse art pieces together. Like what is the common theme here as much as um, is the person that helps ask enough questions and listen deeply enough to the artists themselves um, to formulate some sort of mission or vision. And so, and so my job is sort of one part listener, um vision and and mission crafter Mm -hmm. alongside the people here as much as it is you know if I were listening to you Sarah and I was listening to Heather and you guys are both sort of highlighting a similar theme that my job then would would be to join your hands together and say Heather and Sarah you guys need to really talk and, and work with each other to build something 
Um, and then, and then really I'm a coach. Um, so I work with parishes and different congregations to dream up and implement what it might mean to do church beyond church walls. Mm-hmm. So for example, something that you, like you, what you do with the pub theology um, is a sort of practical living example of what it means to cultivate community and faith community beyond our Sunday, Sunday morning church walls. Um, and, and it, you know, at the center of my job is uh, youth and young adult perspective. So, so I also am, I'm working with, with youth and young adults to dream up what that might even look like and mean in the first place. Mm-hmm. They are, their opinions, their perspectives are cent- the central driving force to what it is that we're trying to curate and craft here as the church yeah. that does not yet exist. Yeah, I think that's huge for the church. In order for the church to survive, yeah. um, we have to listen to our, our young people. Yeah, and, and there, will be, there will be parts of the institution that have died or are dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our job is to help it die well and mm-hmm. die with dignity, right? Mm. Because ultimately, as Christians, we believe in resurrection. And so that's right. the, the death life cycle is actually something that should be natural for us. Natural. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there will be parts that will die. Um, but as that death is happening, God is already causing something to emerge. That's, that's great. Mm. Yeah. And so the discernment is what's dying. How do we accompany it? Right? How do we chaplain it? And then what is emerging maybe that's even beyond our understanding right now? Mm-hmm. And, and how do we notice it and join it? Mm-hmm. And so that's my job is to help with that discernment. Well, that's beautiful. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and you, my friend, have a new position. I do. Tell me and tell all of us about your new position. I'm so excited. Um, I've joined my diocese of Oklahoma, the Episcopal Diocese of Oklahoma. And I will be, I'm not sure the exact title yet, either like the director or the coordinator of church growth and development. So we have a canon who does just church growth. She wrote a book on it. She's a stud. She's actually going to be the next bishop of San, Di- San Diego. So she's leaving soon, unfortunately, but she'll be out in your, your neck of the woods. Um, that's uh, Canon Susan Snook. Uh, she's, she's fantastic. And I'm, I'm very excited to work with her the next couple months here and try to continue her work here in the diocese in terms of church growth. And, and then I'll be helping our development team, uh, you know, to get people to support the Diocese of Oklahoma in whatever way that looks like financially or, you know, however that looks with different ministries and whatnot. So um, I know a big project we had talked about last week in kind of my pre-meetings was um, me doing a lot of the tech work and getting all of our parishes. We have about 68 parishes in Oklahoma, getting everyone a website with accurate information, hopefully some media, some links to social media, and getting everyone caught up to the 21st century as best we can. Because we have a lot of rural churches and smaller churches. Obviously, Oklahoma is mostly rural. So we have different um, 
challenges and different uh, demographic of folk up here uh, compared to the coast where you're at. So one of those big things in church growth is just getting the word out that we exist, really. And that seems so simple and easy, but it's not. And um, I know that'll be a big project I'm undertaking. And just overall, just the Episcopal Diocese, we've we've put a lot of money, I think, and resources into updating our, our website and our social media. And it looks, everything looks awesome right now. Everyone go check out the Episcopal Diocese of Oklahoma website. It's freaking amazing. They did a beautiful job with it. But just to continue that and to help spread that, and I'll be, I'll be part of that too, just promoting like diocesan news and what we're doing. But again, like promoting all of our churches because our evangelical brothers and sisters in Oklahoma are doing a much better job than we are um, as an entity spreading, spreading their message. And that's a whole another theological question of how to, how to do church growth and what's, what is our theology sticking point that we're trying to get people to buy into or, you know, inspire people and just what, what is, what is our motivation? I think that's a great theological question for getting people to church and why our church instead of one that is like a rock concert. Um, Cause that, that's its own appeal. Right. Um, so there's all these questions that we have to consider while, while maintaining our Episcopal identity and our traditions um, and not compromising that. But like, I know the work you're doing too, like catching up to, current times and speaking to this next generation of folks, our generation and making it relevant um, and accessible and practical and like on the ground. So I'll continue to do my pub theology things and do um, more and more stuff. I'm helping do an ecumenical worship service for pride this summer and bringing all the churches of Oklahoma who are supportive of LGBT people together, just creative ways of getting the word out that Christianity can be a really, really beautiful, good thing in people's lives and give people hope and purpose and community and belonging and all the things that, you know, you're talking about as well. So Mm -hmm. I am so freaking excited to be a part of it. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited with you. Um, It's, it's going to be awesome. And, you know, one thing, one thing you said that's that's really important that I th- I think we could do a whole podcast or two on and um, is this whole idea of of a virtual presence mm-hmm. because something that we've been talking about here is that um, really you know we live in in obviously a visual culture right um, and the next not the, even the next the youngest generation right now is is probably the most visually literate generation mm. um, in the history of humanity. And, mm-hmm. and so when we think about theologically what that might mean, um, you know, what I immediately consider is iconography. And, and mm. what is it for, for us to re-energize and reclaim one of the most beautiful gifts of, of our tradition in, in iconography, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and then alongside that, that you know, we talk about hospitality as a theological concept and as a practical reality, and that when when we think about Sunday morning um, or Saturday morning, and and you're sort of you're braving or broaching the threshold of a church door, 
that you have the Sunday morning greeter, right? You have someone standing there saying, welcome, and here's your pamphlet or your bulletin or whatever. That that person really is the first face of hospitality for the community. Yeah. Um, that, that actually now what's starting to happen is that the websites, our websites yeah. and our social media yeah. are the first doors of mm-hmm. hospitality. And, and you and I both know as, as queer women, like I'm not going to go into a religious establishment no matter how, no matter what denomination, even in the Episcopal Church, just cold turkey. I won't, I won't no. do it. I'm going to go to the website first. I'm going to try to sift through it and make sure that it's a safe space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so there's that piece of it, let alone just, um, you know, communicating what it is that you're about and, and how you welcome people mm-hmm. visually and virtually, I think is, is the new form is the new front door of hospitality for the church. Yeah. That's very astute. Mm-hmm. and um and we can talk about that and flesh that out a little bit more about what that all means but i think that it's important for for us to remember and for people to hear that it does matter you know Mm -hmm. what you're communicating on your website does matter Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. what are your like hopes and dreams for theosophia this season as you're a new team member here yeah um hopes and dreams i hope that i hope that i have or we have the privilege of of witnessing more people's stories um across um a diverse spectrum and by diversity i mean every sort of form of that possible you know you and i were talking talking earlier that as as well-intentioned as that can be, the impact isn't always the same, right? So um, I hope that we can hold each other accountable in that. I hope that our listeners can hold us accountable to that um, because we're not, we're not whole and we're not full unless all, all voices are included, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one hope and dream. I hope that I learn and am transformed by whatever it is that I hear. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that you and I laugh a lot. Oh, that that definitely will happen. I hope we have some fun with it, um, <laughs> and I hope that you know by the end of this season that we have grown a sense of community with the Theo Sophia listeners, um, mm-hmm. and that you and I are going to be working on how to do that. Um, but that that y'all who are tuning into this feel part of part of this. Yeah. And that's really important to me. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. What about you? Yeah. I just, you know, my whole vision was to give obviously women's voices a platform and I just want to collect and curate those. I love that word. Curate those as best as authentically and creatively as we can. And to reach more people obviously would be a great goal and to spread this far and wide and um like you said bring more people in i think that storytelling is so powerful and people claiming their power and their truth is saves lives um i think about when i got to interview one of my heroes jennifer knapp um her music and her story saved my life so many times in my adolescence and even now today as an adult Mm -hmm. and just how powerful that is and i've 
already gotten a ton of emails and messages from people who've, who've shared similar sentiments about the podcast. And that's, it's super rewarding, but it's, it's needed. It's, it's desperately needed in our culture today, especially when there's so much bad religion out there that's toxic and um, detrimental. So I want this to be a beacon of hope and a place of comfort, but yet challenge and yeah. Yeah, it sounds um, very parabolic, you know, like Jesus's mm -hmm. favorite form of storytelling um, was through the parables, right? And mm -hmm. parables are meant to indict and invite us in. Mm -hmm. And so I, I hear our collective hope mm -hmm. as curators, co-curators co of this podcast is that these stories would be lived reality, but also parabolic in that they... Yeah indict and invite us all into to a greater truth yes beautiful Kelsey. beautiful i'm sarah elizabeth smith and i'm kelsey davis we are theosophia Thanks again for joining us, y'all. Make sure to tune in next week as Kelsey shares an awesome interview with the Bishop of El Camino Real. And as always, y'all, you can find Theosophia on all the social media sites. And be sure to stop by our Patreon page and consider supporting this Labor of Love podcast. We will see y'all next week. Have a great day. Peace. <laughs>